360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 360, 360, 360 degrees. High Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and is broadcasting live from Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, known to settlers as the Bay Area. Recently, many cities across the United States celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day as an alternative to observing Columbus Day, choosing to honor the truth of history instead of perpetuating the myth of discovery. On tonight's show, we will share sounds we recorded at the 27th Annual Indigenous Peoples Day powwow right here in Berkeley. 27th Annual Indigenous Peoples Day powwow! On tonight's show, we will include John Curl and Annette Dietz, who were involved in, with the city of Berkeley being the first city to ditch Columbus Day for Indigenous Peoples Day. We'll speak with Sasheen Littlefeather and Gilbert Blacksmith about how they judge the dancers moving to the heartbeat of the drum and the importance of educating youth. And our very own Frank Sterling will share how he had just a hand, he just had a hand in creating a Native American festival and land acknowledgement on Avon Lake, Ohio. All that and more tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts tonight. I'm Free Will and Franklin. And I'm Hannah Wilson, so stay tuned. Again, welcome to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. Tonight we are celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day, the acknowledgement that the land's original inhabitants were and are still here. And what better place to do it than the first city in the United States that ditched Columbus Day for Indigenous Peoples Day. And yes, that city is Berkeley, California. In 1992, Berkeley declared October 12th as a day of solidarity with indigenous people, and 1992 as the year of indigenous people. At the same time, the city symbolically renamed Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day. These changes brought to light the historical conquest of the Americas by Europeans and called attention to the actual systemic and genocidal destruction of Native peoples and their cultures through diseases, warfare, massacres, and forced assimilation. So to give us some history on how the city of Berkeley made this transformation, we spoke with John Curl. He was part of the original team that worked with the city to make it happen. 
Welcome back. We're at the Berkeley Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. It's 2019, and we're here with John Curl, one of the founders of the powwow. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, so tell us about some of the history of the process of the founding of the powwow and your involvement in it. Well, it started out here in the Bay Area when the United States Congress declared the Bay Area to be the center of what they were going to do as the 500th uh, anniversary of celebration, uh, which they're calling a jubilee, uh, and it was going to be a national celebration of, uh, of colonialism and uh, imperialism. And uh, they had made, uh, they were arranging to make uh, replicas of Columbus's ships in Spain and send them across the ocean, and uh, they were going to go down the East Coast through the Panama Canal, and then on uh, October 12, 1992, they were going to come through the Golden Gate in all glorious, and it was going to be a great uh, national celebration. And uh, when we heard about that, they were doing that, we knew we had to respond to it. And at that time, Native people, both uh, from uh, North and uh, South and, and Mesoamerica, were getting together at a conference in Quito, Ecuador, to discuss how Native people uh, should respond to this 500 year uh, commemoration and there was an organization here in uh, in the bay area called the uh, the south and mesoamerican indian information center led by uh, a mapuche man from argentina named nilo Cayoqueo. and uh, i uh, i got to know him a little bit and we thought it might be a good idea to uh, to approach the mayor of berkeley and explain the situation to her and uh, to try to get her, uh, this is, her name is Lonnie Hancock, she was a very good mayor at that time, get her uh, on board as an ally in, uh, in trying to respond to uh, what was going on. As it wound up, she, uh, Lonnie sent me down to Quito, Ecuador to uh, participate in this, uh, this uh, international uh, native, native conference and to bring back information about uh, what native people, how native people think that we should respond to what was going on. And uh, uh, there were people there from, uh, uh, this was in the mountains in the, uh, uh, above Quito, Ecuador, in the, um, uh, in the Andes, way up in the Andes Mountains. And there were like, uh, you know, hundreds of delegates from, from Native nations from all over the Americas. And uh, the main resolution, although they had, you know, like any great conference, there have many resolutions, but the resolution number one was to uh, everyone should go back to their communities and change this day into, uh, into a day of uh, renewal for Native people and for, for Native uh, civilization rather than a, a celebration of, uh, of imperialism and conquest and genocide. So that's what we did in the Bay Area. And first, it, it, there was a conference of just, of just of Native people in DQ University for a couple of days at DQ. And then they moved on to Laney College for the final day. And at Laney College, uh, everyone was invited. It was a great conference. It was full of Native people, full of all kinds of progressive people. And uh, at the end of it, we decided that everyone, again, would go back to their communities uh, with the message that we wanted to uh, change Columbus Day to uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. And uh, Native elders uh, at, at that conference gave, gave our organization a name called Resistance 500. So as the Berkeley group of Resistance 500, we came back here and went to the city council. And the city council made us into a task force 
to take the year, this was like in 1991, to investigate the, uh, the history and the situation and to report back. So uh, that's exactly what we did. The history was all out there. It was very clear that, uh, you know, that, that Columbus was, was not just this explorer. He was a mil leader of a military expedition. He kidnapped native people and brought them back to Spain. He started the transatlantic slave trade. He couldn't find enough gold on his, on his voyage to uh, finance his voyage, so he sold people. And then he came back with the Spanish army and began the, the conquest of, of the Americas and uh, started starting in uh, the Caribbean islands with, the, with himself as the dictator, the, as the governor, the governor of America. And he, you know, would wound up in a destruction of the Taino uh, civilization in the in the Caribbean, and it, it began. It began the 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 colonization and the the genocide and the exploitation of a, uh, you know, of, of this continent. So when we brought that back to the mayor and city council, it was very clear. The city council voted unanimously to uh, to get rid of Columbus Day and to start Indigenous Peoples Day. And from the from from that Laney conference and the DQ conference. People went back to many places, but we were the only place that had a, a, that had a city government who was willing to listen. But then for, like, for a long time, we, were, we just kind of kept it going. Berkeley was a forerunner, was really in the forefront of yeah, this. Yeah, we were the first. The we first. were the first. Yeah. We were the example that you, you did not have to do it on a large scale. You didn't have to do it nationwide or statewide. You could just go into your own little community and tell this story that people didn't know. Everyone still had the, the first grade story of... Uh, that Columbus was, discovered America. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, he was just a know, guy. Yeah, that, that, yeah. All, that, all that nonsense. And uh, so, uh, so, you know, not only around here, but, you know, all over the country, uh, people, when they heard the story, it, 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 it amazed them because this was the historical truth. And, you know, they, uh, or people just had to kind of look. You know, it's like, it think, it's like buried very treasure that is just in, in plain sight. Yes. You know, so uh -huh. once people started looking around, uh, they realized all over the country and really all over the world that this is, you know, really what the true history is. And, you know, people don't want to celebrate a, a genocide. They don't want to celebrate uh, imperialism. You don't have the uh, ability to shape the world. You don't have the ability to even uh, be successful in the world if you don't really understand what happened. And, you right. know, and where we're coming from. You can't really make a better future if, you're, if your understanding of the present and the past is all... Distorted. Yeah, distorted twisted. and wrong. And it's just, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just, uh, it has nothing to do with reality. One of the things, though, that strikes me in what you're saying is how you don't have to go nationwide, that you can really have an impact by starting on a very local level and that at that local level, people can really change the culture and yes. change the history and change people's understanding, especially because you're bringing people in, into contact with each other. Yes. And um, so, so talk about that. What, what, what's your experience of that over the years? Well, that, that has really been amazing, that, uh, you know, that changing things in your own little area, it doesn't seem like much, but in this case... It just uh, it opened it opened a path. It opened a path for uh, for doing something that is uh, constructive, and uh, that's you know that's kind of what we're trying to do here is is uh, you know kind of bring these things together so that the wisdom of native people can illuminate and enrich uh, the culture we have today, and so that we can find a way forward and not just uh, continue to. Uh, destroy and, and rape and plunder the entire planet. 
Well, thank you for all your efforts on this. You know, thank you for going to Quito and for coming back and talking to Lonnie Hancock. And look what's come out of it. It's an amazing day right now. How does it feel to be here today? Oh, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's wonderful. This brings out the goodness in people. A lot of Native culture is based on reciprocity. So you put out good energy, you put out good things to other people, and, you know, they come back to you. And I think to bring, the, uh, to bring our society and to bring the planet forward, that's, that's the, uh, the spirit that we have to bring into it. And that's what we have here at the Powwow today. Definitely do. And that's the voice of John Curl, one of the original founders that helped bring the uh, Berkeley Indigenous People's Day Powwow um, to fruition for us to enjoy and for us to uh, grow and learn from and uh, get to hear these uh, beautiful songs in the background. And uh, we really appreciate um, all that you've done for, uh, for Berkeley, for the area. And as we see, um, it does spread uh, across the country. It may started small in uh, your area, but now cities all across the nation have um, followed that lead and have changed um, Columbus Day into Indigenous People's Day. So thank you very much for taking that initial step and being uh, one of the first in the United States to do that. All right, welcome back to Full Circle, broadcasting live right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA, in Huchin occupied Ohlone territory. You just heard our conversation with John Curl. We spoke to him at Berkeley's 27th annual Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. As you heard, John himself was instrumental in the recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day and the creation of Berkeley's Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. So next, we're going to hear Nanette Dietz. Nanette was also on the original committee in 1991. That created Berkeley's Indigenous Peoples Day. Anne is on the current committee. She is a journalist and a published poet, and she just won the, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the city of Berkeley. I'm your host, Sarah Blanco here. And Hannah Wilson. Welcome. Welcome, Nanette. Oh, thank you, Pedama Yaye. Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like and the work that you were doing when, when you were first working on Indigenous Peoples Day and, and the time frame? Yeah, okay. That, was, that takes me back. That was all the way back to 1991, I believe. Um, and I joined the committee when we first started. And it was an idea that, as you, that was started actually because of the um, city of San Francisco wanted to do replicas of the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria and bring them into San Francisco and do this huge Columbus Day celebration. And um, many of our, our activists decided, no, this is, we, we have to draw the line somewhere. We cannot do this anymore. And so we had a demonstration over in San Francisco to try to stop it. And we told people, well, if you really want to come over and find out, find out about Indigenous Peoples Day. We had a city council at the time that was very, very progressive and very supportive of what we were doing. We had all decided kind of through the grapevine up and down the continent that it was time to honor the prophecies of the time of the eagle and the condor coming together with the condor representing the native peoples of Central and South America and the eagle representing Turtle Island, Canada, Alaska. And we wanted to really see, it. We, we felt that this was the right time to really push for stopping and ending what I like to call historical fictional narrative, which is the whole Columbus myth. And we decided, hey, this is time that we bring our indigenous peoples. And when we say indigenous, we mean everybody from north to south, the Pacific Islanders. We include all indigenous groups on this, what we call Turtle Island. Some people call it Abya Yala. 
it just means this back of this turtle, this land where we're on, that we get our religion from, we get our energy from, our food, everything. And we wanted to stop this because it creates, as you know, so much destruction. It's, that's kind of well known. So what I did and what I was so excited about at the time was our, not only the wonderful political support we got from the city, which made it all possible, really. And then we decided to really work with the arts. At the time, we, I hooked up and another person, we hooked up with Berkeley High School. We went into the classrooms. I played my flute. I sang songs. We tried to educate the, the students that, yes, we're here. Many of them didn't think we existed anymore. They were shocked. You mean there's Native people here? So it was, it's an education, the whole way of really honoring diversity because diversity is deep and it's different. But if you can do it through the arts, through culture, language drama, I don't care what it is, I feel, and many artists do, and most Native people know this, that's the best way to do it. It's not a pretty history, as we all know, um, for my family, particularly for many families. And it's hard to make people and students and the general public understand that we're not that, we're not a Hollywood thing. We're not, a, we're not whatever you've been brought up to believe. It, it's 360 degrees different. I mean, it's that's not a, a, a good, positive way to learn about people. So <laughs> you really need to be with the people and understand the language because ours was taken away, of course. Our, you know, we all know that was genocide. And we've had to go back and try to... Re we were not allowed to meet and dance and sing till well after World War II. And even then it was sketchy, depended on where you were. Powwows didn't take off in California really until 20-some, maybe just 30, 40 years ago. They really, you know, really took off when a lot of the casinos got the right to gamble, right? I mean, seriously. I, as a little girl, traveled with my grandfather in Southern California back to see those folks before that happened, and you could not get there. There were no roads. You've never seen poverty like that in your life, probably. It was like going into places where people had no homes. They lived in cardboard shacks, no food, no running water, nothing. And I've watched, I'm only 69, and I've seen this resurgence of the California people, which does my heart really good, because I was born here in Southern California, and my grandfather lived here, and we went a long way to get from South Dakota all the way through Idaho, then in Oregon, then all the way down here during the Depression. I wasn't, my family didn't come out on relocation. In Canada, they would call my family Bush Indians. In other words, we moved to get away. Wherever we could go to survive, we went. And that's pretty true for most Native folks. It was the government policy of relocation during the 50s that brought people out to the big cities, right? When my family came down to Banning, my mother was born actually in an Indian camp where Native people came before relocation. This was in the 20s, during the Depression, 30s, right after, you know, during that heavy time. And so they had, that was the only place where we could gather where there would be government food given out and there was health care. You, you had to be careful. You had to go where you could get what you needed. And so people don't know the history really of California. It was a lot of people coming in here to work. And unless you know this in your family, because so much had to be kept underground, I, would, I never told anybody at school. I went to school with white kids. I never told them I was Indian. I just wasn't supposed to talk about that. Because I could pass, basically. My dad's German-American. I grew up in 
two different families with different languages over here on my mom's side, two different tribes. My mother's father, my mother's mother is Cherokee from Oklahoma. And my, my father is German-American and their family spoke German. That was their first language. So I grew up in this really bicultural, bi biracial, by everything. I mean, really, we were very, very mixed. And which I think is wonderful. I mean, I think it's a blessing. But that's looking back, right? At the time, it must have been very difficult, especially for my mother and my mother's family, and of course, even my dad and my dad's family. So it's, it's very, um, it it's really makes me happy to see what went on, what we've done since 1992, right? And and we went into the classroom, and I'm big on education. I teach also, so I'm like, wow, this is so fun. And so we got to do a play. We did a play called Watershed from the play Watershed, which is about the Yurok Salmon Wars. So basically, we were teaching history, right, in a really positive, fun way. We got to go in the classrooms, and that was, we did that, we had a two-day powwow then. So we actually did the, the classroom in the um, watershed on a Friday. KPFA was there to record everything, I'm happy to say. Bay Native Circle, yay, shout out to Janine and everybody. Um, so it was really, really a nice thing. And so we had a lot, it was a bigger ceremony. We got to have two-day powwow, really, and we stretched it out and we fed everybody the old traditional way. We cooked all the turkey meat and had all this food. It was amazing. You know, Nanette, I'm really thinking about the reviving the culture that you're talking about mm -hmm. and, and now in California. But, you know, the contrast with you as a, as a mixed-race child mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how because of racism, because of oh, yeah. uh, shame that gets internalized, you could not speak about who, you know, part of who you were. Right. And, right. and now that kids are growing up, Indigenous kids are growing mm -hmm, up, all mm -hmm. kids with a di with a different with culture. Right, with, it's, it's much better. It really yeah. is, and it, it's different. I mean, it was a two-edged sword because when you're not on a reservation, you don't get to learn language, you don't get to do your religious ceremonies, you don't get to do stuff, right? Yes. So, but you have a lot of poverty, a lot of violence. There's a, a lot of problems. There've always been because it's that's what it, it was set up to be. That's what it is. Yes. I, I will tell you, I get a little angry when people say, they look at people and go, that's not who we are, we're better than this. And I'm like, don't you know your history? This has gone on forever. For me, I firmly believe that until America gets out of its massive denial, what I call that historical, fictional narrative about actually committing genocide, that you are a post-colonial society, no different than South Africa. No different than what's going on with the Kurds right now. Right. Right now. And I'm like, wow, let's get back because this is not the truth. The truth is this has always gone on. That's what... <laughs> we were taken to, to holding cages, camps. That's what a fort is. That's where men were separated. I can tell you. Crow Creek, all the men were sent down on one side and young boys and the women were at Crow Creek. So these are concentration camps. They were designed to kill people. They were not pretty. They weren't there. It's ethnic cleansing. And until that history is accepted by white America, you're always going to have the problems we have. It has to be taught. Yes. It has to be acknowledged. I mean, I can tell you about my family on the German side. There's Jews, too. My father's mother is Jewish. So I'm coming from a tradition that I know what this looks like. 
I know, I firmly believe that unless we can be together and learn those deep, not with anger, but just talking about it, why not? There's a wonderful program on FNX right now called Native Talk, First Talk. In Canada, we have, they have sitcoms starring Native families. They have, we hear our music all the time on the radio. Here, it's a complete, we call it a red out. We're not allowed. They don't want it. And we've been around doing performing since, what, the beginning. Seriously, I'm, I'm re you know, for real. And the city of Berkeley should be very proud of itself because this city was the first one to say, nope, we're drawing a line, that's it. We have to teach, we have to educate, we have to come together and know that we're all here on the same planet. There's, you, can't go, you may want to go to another planet to live or out in space, but the reality is this is your canoe. This, we're all in the same canoe, right? So that's what we tried to do and what we do with this powwow. We keep it traditional, but we also try to bend it a little bit. I mean, culture changes, tradition changes. That's what it does. But it's our way of teaching and passing on dance, music, culture, language, religion. And we're very proud of this powwow because it's a very safe place. We know that families can come and be safe and have a good time and learn a little something and join in. Thank you so much. All right, welcome back. Those were the voices of graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco and my co-host right here, Hannah Wilson, speaking, hey, hey. speaking with journalist and poet Nanette Dietz. And Nanette was an original committee member helping to start the first Indigenous People's Day right here in Berkeley. Now, as the first voice crew set up and back to record interviews, we also gathered some sound from the circle where the powwow was being held. We're going to hear all nation singers from right here in Oakland recorded live at the 27th annual Berkeley Indigenous People's Day powwow. Are you ready to powwow? Are you ready to powwow? Come on now, are you ready to powwow? Indigenous People's Day powwow on a civic hall. Here we go. We're getting ready to powwow here. Give them a hand one more time. Come on now, all nation singers, be on the ready, 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 ready. All right, all nation singers. Everybody rise. Everybody rise, please. In honor of grand entry, please remove your hat. Recognizing all the tribal nations in our great, great land, what we now call America, we're bringing that eagle staff, the American flag, we'll tell you who's coming in, but you're recognizing all the tribal nations in this great nation and all indigenous people at Indigenous People's Day. Jonathan Cook. 
Cherokee tribe. Honoring those, those that were killed in action. Buddy Meyer carrying the flag. Combat veteran. Yes, that was All Nation Singers recorded at the 27th Annual Berkeley Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. And you are listening to Full Circle coming at you live from the studios of KPFA 94.1 FM. We are your host tonight. Hannah Wilson. And I'm Free Will and Franklin. Also in that clip, we heard co-MCs Randy Pico, who is Liseño. What's up, my people? What's my people? And Aurora Mamia, who is Blackfoot. And Aurora had the honor of being the first woman MC of the Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. So congratulations to her. Yeah. And tonight we are featuring interviews and songs we gathered at the Indigenous Peoples Day powwow that is held each year in Berkeley's Civic Center Park. So next we're going to hear from Sashin Littlefeather and Gilbert Blacksmith. They are head judges for the Berkeley Indigenous Peoples Day powwow. Sashin Littlefeather is an activist, a filmmaker, and an actor. She is best known for, pre- for representing Marlon Brando at the Academy Awards in 1973. She was there to decline the Best Actor Award for his performance in The Godfather. That boycott was to draw attention to the standoff at Wounded Knee, along with protesting Hollywood's portrayal of Native Americans. She has continued her activism to this day. Will also be spe- also speaking will be Gilbert Blacksmith, and he is a former fancy dancer and now also a head judge. Welcome, everyone. This is Full Circle right here on KPFA, and we are at the 27th Annual Indigenous Peoples Day powwow right here in downtown Berkeley, and we are joined by two guests that are working, and uh, they have a moment to speak with us, uh, Shasin Littlefeather and Gilbert Blacksmith, and... You guys are working today as part of the powwow. Tell us what your role is today and what you're doing. Uh, we're head judges for the powwow. And so what do you watch for during these different contests? Okay, well, uh, my name is Gilbert Blacksmith, and I've been part of this uh, committee for a long time. I've been coming to this here powwow for the past uh, about 20 years now. I was the dancer. I was a fancy dancer. I'm a uh, co-judge with Sanshin right now. And we judge the dancing by their smoothness, their gracefulness, how well they dance to the drum beat. And the drum beat is very important to us. And we dance, you know, to the drum beat. And um, a lot of our dancers, you know, they get really uh, creative out there with their dancing. And as judges, we see how smooth they are. And if they go in time and beat with the judge with the drumming, mm-hmm. I'd like to add too that Gilbert is a and has been a very good and championship fancy dancer in his youth. We're both older now. Hey, hey. <laughs> here's for elders. Yeah, here's yeah, for the elders. Absolutely. So he knows what to look for, definitely. Well, talk about the importance of having these dances and um, carrying on uh, the traditional dances along with more contemporary dances. Um, the importance of keeping these dances going and having a place to um, to perform them. 
We uh, have these dances because uh, we want to educate our youth in our traditions, in our culture, in our songs. Incidentally, uh, this drum, which is our, our sacred drum, is in the round, just like the earth is round. And this drum beat is the heartbeat of every human being on this earth of every living thing on this earth. And that's what that represents, that drum. So that is sacred to us people, us Native American Indian people. That's just not someone out there with a stick beating on some sort of a hide, a drum, so to speak. That means something to us. These are songs that have been passed down generation after generation. We have a lead singer, and then we have the singers on that drum. One drum beat. All of these drummers singing that one drum beat, that one heart that beats. Unity. Yes, it okay. is. Absolutely. And then those dancers, they dance and step to that heartbeat, to that drum. And that's what those judges look for as well. So this is part of our culture. We invite everyone to come. It's free. You know, you're welcome to dance certain dances with us. Don't miss that opportunity, for Don't sure. Absolutely. And um, just no one under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Uh, we're, we're very strict about that. Definitely. And uh, so, just so you respect our dancers, don't go up and paw them. These are not costumes. This is regalia. This has to do with who we are. This represents who we are. And then talk a little bit, you mentioned about sharing the, um, the traditions with the youth and the kids, but talk about um, opening up, like you said, to the broader community to um, pass on our culture, let people know um, that we are still here, you know, and, you know, this is who we are. So, um, you talk about the importance of sharing it with the broader cultures of people that may not be Native American that, you know, are maybe even seeing this for the first time. Why is that so important? To us, it's really important because uh, we would like to see the world, you know, because uh, we as Native Americans, you know, we have a diversity. You know, we have, what, 565 different uh, tribes in our continent today. Uh, Canada, Mexico, and United States. We have 565 different languages, 565 different beliefs. So we're a diversity within the diversity. And within this diversity, we would like to have our other diversity know that the Native Americans still live. We're still alive, and we're still connected to the heartbeat the heartbeat of Mother Earth, just because we live in an artificial environment, through this here drum, you know, it keeps us going. We dance to the drum, we have eight different categories, eight different movements, and uh, no, do, no two dancers dance alike. Mm -hmm. We all share a different uh, uh, creativeness out there. We try to bring the spirit out back into the people through our drum and through our dancing, because this is what we're all about bringing out the spirit, the creativity, the inspiration. And uh, through the non-culture, through the non-Indians, you know, we like to share, you know, our growth, you know, our development, our improvement, you know, how we've done in the United States, you know, throughout the years. 
you know, that have passed by and all of that. 527 years, you know, Native Americans have been resisting. We're still resisting. And tell you the truth, America is just now getting a taste of what Native Americans been through for the past 525 years. Yeah, we years. were born underneath of this so, great umbrella of genocide. And so yet we are still here. We're still here, so... Keeping our youth in contact with our culture is very important. You know, through dancing, through singing. It's the gateway to our spirituality. It helps each tribe open up to who they are and what they're capable of doing and not doing as Native Americans. You know, so uh, I'm really proud. I'm really... what do you say, not only proud, but he's a really into it, you know. And uh, we teach Native American dancing every Thursday night at our community center here in Oakland, California, at the Intertribal Friendship House on Fifth Avenue. Uh, we shared the drum. We have Mike Bellinger, All Nation Singers, uh-huh. that bring in our little boys, teach them the drum. You know, we also have our little boys and little girls out there dancing. And to us, it's a family event. It's a community event. And it helps our Native American people here in the city, you know, contact Mother Earth to keep us going. You know, the Dominant Society looks at uh, all cultures as being patrilineal. But our cultures are matrilineal. We come from our mothers. We know who they are. And it is, uh, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast, we have uh, women's societies. You know, I know a lot of people uh, in the dominant society are fighting for women's rights and so forth and so on. But we were born with those rights. We come from different clans within the tribe. And people say, well, why do you have clans? Is that something spiritual? Well, you know, we want to keep the bloodlines clean. So that means if you're from the bear clan, you don't marry into your own clan because you're going to be married into your own family. Your cousins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I know the European kings and queens, they married their own cousins. But we were smarter. We did not marry into our own clans. We kept the lines of blood clean. And I want to make a point of that, you know, because uh, when uh, the Europeans came over here, you know, they thought that we were savages, you know. We, we weren't educated people, but far from that, we were educated in the ways of the environment. We are the first environment of this land. The European did not find a three-mile island, did not find dirty air, and forested uh, lands that had been cleared, clear-cut. They didn't find soil that was not worthy of growing crops, because we are the first environmentalists here. And it is our job to keep our Mother Earth clean. You want to feel healthy? Take your shoes off. Go to the Mother Earth. Put your feet on the bare earth because that's your mother. That's all of our mother. And you want to cry out? Go to that tree over there. That tree is taller than all of us. It's been there for many, many years. 
more than we will ever know. And we feel humble underneath the branches of this tree because it's much bigger than all of us. And we know that as Native people. We learn from our environment. The animals showed us what herbs to use because when they got sick, they went to a certain plant. And by observing and shutting up, keeping our mouths shut and our eyes open and our ears open, we learn how to use those plants. That's how we learned. Those animals are very wise teachers. We only took lives for that which we needed to eat. But we didn't decimate all of the animals. So some sustainable living is, is what we need these days especially. Exactly. So in the, today's world, you know, during the powwow time, like we're having today, you know, uh, our circle out there is blessed. So we tell our children, our youth and our adults and all of that, you know, that if you ever have any problems, troubles or worries, you just don't know how to comprehend or let go, that circle will help you. You go out there with all your troubles, problems and worries and you pray about it. You let the circle know and it'll give you an answer. The answer is always there. You know, it's just that in today's world, living in a world of technology, we learn to have so many excuses not to do this, not to do that. But deep down inside, you know, we have to do it. And through the grace of God, through the grace of our spirit, we've learned how to go out there and get motivated to get things done. And that's what that circle is all about. That's what our dancing is all about, our singing is all about. And we have some really good community leaders today in this Bay Area that's really helping our children out, getting them educated so they can live in today's world and still be part of the culture. Definitely um, wise words to live by. And I know that you two have to get back because you're a masters of the ceremonies or uh, the judges of the, the ceremonies. <laughs> and um, so that's the voice of Sashin Littlefeather and Gilbert Blacksmith. Well, we appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, speak with us today and give us a little history and um, the wise words that we need to live by these days. Thank you very much for stopping Thank by. You. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So appreciate much. it. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA, listener-sponsored radio. And we just heard a conversation with Sashin Littlefeather and Gilbert Blacksmith, who are both judges for the dancing at the 27th annual Indigenous People's Day powwow hey, in hey. Berkeley. Hey, so Franklin, we're going to switch gears right now from the powwow to talk with my co-host. Hey. Yeah. Free Will and Franklin. So, so Frank, I understand you had a hand in creating a Native American festival with your uncle, but first, let, tell us about your story. How, how did you come into embracing your Native American identity? It actually took a while. It Really, it took coming here to KPFA and being a part of the apprenticeship program ah. because like, um, like Nanette Dietz, I come from a mixed family. I have a European half, my mother's side, and my dad, who is my Native American half from San Diego down there in the Seno area. And he left the reservation when he was a kid with his mother due to, um, I mean, it's a way remote area. There's nothing to do out mm. there to get a job. You have to travel way out. And uh, like many people in 
in the tribes, we were dealing with um, alcoholism and stuff like that. So my dad's mom um, removed herself and the kids from the reservation when he was young. So my dad basically um, assimilated. He came out of the reservation with his mom, grew up out in Stockton, and then ended up in Concord, California, right over here, and then joined the military. And after the military, uh, went to college and then got a job at the steel mill out in Pittsburgh, U.S. Steel, and worked there until he retired. So basically, I never um, picked up a gourd, which is the rattle that my mm-hmm. people use, the ring cone people use. I never knew our song or been connected to any of our traditional ways um, until I got to KPFA and I started studying and I met um, Tony Gonzalez, who you might hear later tonight, and started going to Alcatraz and then attended a powwow and went back to visit my people and heard the gourd shake and stuff. So, yeah, it was a, it was that kind of a journey. What was that like to hear the gourd shake, to make those connections, to start reading about the history? How? What was that like for you internally and, you know, just as a person? Yeah, it was it was pretty moving to finally hear it, you know, because yeah. I didn't even know till I was like almost 40 years old that we didn't even, we didn't beat the drum, we used the, the gourd. So it was like mysteries being solved and just an, an enlightenment that like, wow, this is like my dad's side of the family. You know, this is uh-huh. um, the history that I, you know, that I got left here. So what happened with your uncle recently? There was something that you got involved with around uh, land acknowledgement in Ohio, I think. What, tell us about that. Yeah, so my uncle Tony, who's uh, my mom's brother, so he's my European half. He is a big part of the historical society where he comes from, Lake um, Avon Lake, Ohio. He's part of HAL, which is Heritage Avon Lake. And a about a year ago, I seen him posting on Facebook all the stuff that he was doing to honor the bicentennial of Avon Lake, Ohio, mm-hmm. which is 200 years. And I started telling him, well, 200 years, Uncle Tony, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket of time, right? What was going right. on in Avon Lake before um, Avon Lake was Avon Lake? Who was there first? And I sent him a couple articles about uh, land acknowledgement. It was actually a Teen Vogue article, a great article about land acknowledgement. And I started talking to him about, like, what was there before that, Uncle Tony, and he started reading stuff, and I connected him with the Lake Erie Native American Council, and they planned a Native American festival. Incredible. So, um, my uncle and Lake Erie Native American Council worked with the city of Avon Lake, and they got a beautiful park right on the shore of Lake Erie, and they basically had, um, it's kind of like a powwow, it was the first annual Native Mm -hmm. American festival, and we're hoping um, to continue it every year, and I want to try to go out to Ohio every year to be a part of it. So it was pretty cool, and I actually got to record some stuff, and I got my Uncle Tony's um, opening speech here, which I'd like to play for us. It's pretty cool. Yeah, let's hear that. And um, we'll check it out. And basically, after he read about land acknowledgments and um, the people that came from the area where Avon Lake is, he um, wrote a land acknowledgment and presented it at the festival. So let's check that out, and then we'll be right back. When this, uh, this thought came to uh, my head, there's a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is my nephew, Frank Sterling, my sister's son, um, he, uh, he talked to me about something that I wanted to share with you. So I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong. Um, our collective history begins long before Noah Davis built his small lean-to on our shoreline, long before Peter Miller and his family built their home. There were native nations living, hunting, and flourishing here on Lake Erie's shoreline. This land that we are on today was once occupied 
by the Erie, the Wyandotte, the Huron, the Lenape, the Kickapoo, the Miami, the Anishinaabe, the Tutelo Saponi, the Cayuga, the Catawba, and many other nations. These First Nations are represented here today. I'd like to thank the mayor and the city of Avon Lake for their support of this event. Also, Marlos Rambo and the Lake Erie Native American Council helping make this first annual powwow happen. I'd like to thank all the volunteers that are here of their own time to make to help make this happen. Um, one of the things my children, Travis and Chris over there will tell you, and Kathy, she's around here somewhere, the really only gift you can ever give anybody is a gift of time. If you get a handwritten note, it's not the note that's important, it's the time that someone took to write that note. So when I look around and I see people giving their time to do something as meaningful as this, I'm impressed by all and, and I'm thrilled by it. Um, there are two special people here, and I'm, I know uh, I know that uh, Sherry Spencer is somewhere around. If you get a if you get a chance to see Sherry, um, she's got a new book coming out. But Sherry Spencer by herself has probably done more to save our history than any, than any other um, local Avon Laker. And I want to also thank my nephew, Frank Sterling. Um, he flew in Thursday night on his own ticket. Um, he was the one who talked to me about giving that land acknowledgement, and that's what I did earlier. And he flew in, and he's here today, and I'm taking him back to the airport tomorrow. Uh, I love you, man. All right. Thank you. Welcome back to Full Circle. So, Franklin, that was your uncle, Tommy Tomic. Uh, Tony. Tony, Tony. And uh, from Avon Lake, Ohio. So, what did hearing his speech again get you thinking about? Well, what it really got me thinking about is how my conversation with my uncle, just a personal conversation between two people, expanded into something so big where the community had never experienced something like that. And suddenly, eight months later, there's 500 to 1,000 residents of the area experiencing something that's never been there. Um, well, it's been there, but it hasn't been there in a long time. And people were really excited about it. So I could tell my uncle was really excited about it. The mayor, the city was excited about it. The people that came out were excited about it. And it's a beautiful location, like I said, right on the edge of Lake Erie. The, um, you could see the water out there. And beautiful people came out. You know, the um, the indigenous community from the area came out and performed, um, did uh, many uh, dances, had uh, two drums there. I think uh, Thunder Nation and something bird. Uh, I can't think of the other one right now, mm -hmm. but they had a couple of drums out mm -hmm. there and uh, American Indian Movement was out there All East right. Coast and they had vendors and... Like I said, it really just gets back to what um, John Curl was talking about, is that when we help spread the information, um, it can take root, it can grow into um, a bigger than what we expected. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I mean, you planted a seed, but um, it did grow on that lake in, in Ohio. It's yeah, amazing. It's, it's very exciting. I'm yeah. really excited about it, and I'm really looking forward to um, returning and seeing how we could make it better. The fried bread person really wasn't expecting that many the people, so the fried bread line was really long. There was only one person doing it, uh, one crew. And um, 
It was a magical thing, mm. really. It was really great. Wonderful. Well, I know you have a song that you recorded there, that you recorded there on the scene. And um, something about it struck you in a personal way. So tell us about the song we're going to hear and, and the impact on you, what it stirred up. Yeah. Um, well, you know that Native Americans are really big on honoring the veterans who served the, uh, the country. And we got a lot of veterans around here. Tony Gonzalez, who's probably going to be coming in later as a vet. And uh, my uncle, my uncle I never had, actually, um, was a victim of these endless wars. He was in Vietnam, and he was killed um, before I was born. He was killed in 69. He was 20 years old. And so, Vietnam? In Vietnam, yeah. yeah. And so... It just makes me think about like the uncle I never had, where I have all these scenarios mm-hmm. in my mind, like what would it have been like if I had, you know, I had my uncle Tony, but he lived on the East Coast, and I probably visited him throughout my life. I'm forty, my mid forties, maybe five or six times throughout my life. But my uncle John Charles Sterling, who was my dad's brother, my Native American side, he would have been living here in the area and been around me. So I have all these like imaginary scenarios, of, like maybe he would have had a gourd. Or maybe he would have known a song or Mm. maybe we would have went fishing or, you know, there's thousands of things I think of when I think about the uncle that I didn't have that was not here. So what he might have shared if he had lived. Yeah. What he might have shared, you know, because and also my dad, he didn't have um, much family left. He's one of the only survivors of like seven or eight siblings. We got um, Mm. I got one more aunt left, but she's not around much. So it's just. You know, not having my dad's brother or brothers because he lost another brother earlier before the war on Vietnam. So, yeah, it just it brings back a lot of like emotions of what it would be like to have a Native American uncle, you know. Yes. So, um, yeah, I did record a song. This is um, Thunder Nation and they're singing an honor song to the veterans. So we'll check that out. Then we'll come back and uh, we'll wrap this up. All right. Stand by. Gentlemen, as we pay an honor to those men and women who serve to serve the people. Welcome back to 94.1 FM KPFA. 
This is the First Voice Apprenticeship Program's weekly show, Full Circle. That was Thunder Nation, uh, drum and singers with their song honoring veterans, and particularly the Native American veterans. And another big shout out to the sky, to my uncle I never met, John Charles Sterling. And as I mentioned, my uncle John was killed in these endless wars. His was Vietnam. Uh, September 5th, 1969. He was 20 years old. Also, a big shout-out to Tony Gonzalez coming up here on La Onda, who's another Vietnam vet who was um, lucky enough to make it home. Lucky enough to make it home. Also, before we get ready to close out the show, we want to give you a heads-up on a couple of events happening. Yeah, so tomorrow, UC Berkeley will hold their 40th annual powwow, 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. at Lowell, Lower Sproul Plaza. Also, don't forget... The Alcatraz Unthanksgiving Sunrise Gathering is hope it is happening Thursday, November twenty eighth, on Thanksgiving Day. Ticket booth opens at three a.m. and the first boat sets off at approximately four fifteen a.m. and every fifteen minutes until six a.m. at Pier thirty three in San Francisco. So finally, one last reminder that tonight you've been listening to Full Circle. Full Circle is the weekly show produced by the First Voice Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. It's an 18-month training program that teaches broadcast media skills to the community, primarily to women and people of color. Yeah, and we are now accepting applications for our spring 2020 program, which will be Group 46. You can download an application on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Just click on the Apply tab, and you could also call and request a paper application be mailed to you. The number, if you would like one mailed to you, is 510-848-6767, extension 235. That's 510-848-6767, extension 235. Go ahead, go ahead, Anna. So if you'd like to be part of this historic program, and it is historic for like 30-some years, maybe you know someone who's interested. Please give us a call or click and get your application, and uh, that would be at kpfaapprentice.org, or just share the information with your friends. So um, here we go. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. So tune in next week to Full Circle to hear Theodora as she speaks with D. Watt Jones and... Taj Johns about internalized racism and healing. Special thanks to the production team from the powwow, graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco, current apprentices Theodora Atkins, Natalie Kilmer, and Sharon Brady. And of course, our executive producer, Miss M, and our technical director, Frank Sterling. And he's on the board as well tonight. Hey. 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 And we've been your host this evening, Hannah Wilson and... I'm Free Will and Franklin, and Hannah was also there helping out at the powwow. Yeah. Um, stay tuned, because La Onda Bajita is coming up next. Thanks for listening. Good night.